Okay. Welcome everybody. To life. To life. And what is life? Well, we're going to get a little taste of it and find out. Torah studies. Of course. No doubt about it. And that's what we're coming to celebrate. The holiday of Shavuos. Zman Matan. Teresenu, the time of the giving of the Torah. And... Um, it seems to be the one holiday that probably gets the least um, attention. Honestly, when I was young, it's one of the holidays I wasn't really aware of. Being that I wasn't raised as I look. <laughs> and, um, you know, Passover, you know, of course. Uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Sukkot somewhat, but you know this holiday gets uh, somewhat lost. But it's a pretty straightforward one. You know, Jews came to the foot of Mount Sinai after uh, leaving Egypt, and Moses went up the mountain. God came down to him after coming to the people, the first two commandments. And then uh, 40 days later, Moses comes down with two sets of tablets right after received, after receiving uh, the, all the Jewish people, about two and a half million people at the foot of Mount Sinai, the word of God. So it's pretty straightforward, the holiday. Um, and, you know, it, so therefore we celebrate the fact that uh, it's a time of giving the Torah and our connection. But According to the Talmud, it's not so straightforward, the whole story. There's a lot more drama involved. It turns out there was a big debate and argument in heaven when Moses got up there. An argument between not God and Moses, but the angels above. They were debating and arguing actually with God about giving the Torah to, to human beings. So we will share the abbreviated version of the Talmud over here from the Tractate of Shabbos. Get this over here. Oh, there we go. See in front of you. So let us read from the, from the Gemara. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, when Moshe ascended on high, the ministering angels declared before God, Master of the universe, what is this human being doing here? The angel, God told them he came to receive the Torah. The angels replied to him, a treasure hidden for 974 generations prior to the creation of the world? You seek to give to flesh and blood? Who are humans that you should remember them? And the son of 
a human, that you should be mindful of them, as it says in, by King David in Psalms. They even quoted him. Lord, our master, how mighty is your name in all of the earth for the sake of which you should bestow your majesty upon the heavens. Right? What are you going to give the Torah to, uh, to earthly beings? Your majesty should be bestowed upon the heavens. Again, quoting from Psalms. God told Moshe, give them an answer. They got a good question. What's your response to them? Moshe said in their presence, Master of the universe, the Torah was give, uh, that you are giving to me. What's written in it? I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Mm, right? First of the Ten Commandments. Moshe said to the angels, did you go down to Egypt? Were you enslaved to Pharaoh? Why should the Torah be for you? Again, Moshe asked, what is written in it? You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. Is there jealousy among you? The angels, are you? Do you have an evil inclination? And immediately the angels agreed with God's plan to give the Torah to the people. As it says, God, our master, how glorious is your name? Again, quoting from Tehillim. And notably, the verse doesn't continue. Place your glory upon the heavens. No longer does that become an issue. So what do we have here? The angels insisting that the Torah should be kept in heaven. After all, it's a heavenly, godly thing. So where does it, where is it befitting? It's befitting that it should be for angels. Moshe argued, you don't have any use for it. Why? Because you don't have an evil inclination. You don't go around gossiping, right? Talking about people's, uh, you know, you know, you know where she went on vacation. You know what he does for work. All true stuff, but it's peddling gossip. You don't have an evil inclination that you should, you know, when you go to work, you spend time on social media when it's time that's being paid by the company. No one has that in inclination to do that in heaven. No angel has that, right? So what's happening? Angels don't have any sin, so they have no Torah. But this begs the question, as the Rebbe asks, all of the supernal worlds, even the loftiest, are insignificant relative to the Torah. Accordingly, it makes little sense that Torah was created just as an antidote, antidote to the evil inclination. Torah is a blueprint of creation. Something that we learned actually in today's Tanya ties in very well with this, right? The Torah is the divine wisdom and will of God. It's the blueprints of creation. God looks into the Torah and creates the world. Whoa. Meaning everything in this world is pulsating with the divine wisdom of Torah. It's not open and clear but that's the true fact and to say 
that, you know, what's the argument that it should be coming to us because so oh, we have an evil inclination, we're, we, we sin, so therefore we need the Torah um, as an antidote to sin because we could steal, so therefore we need the commandment, do not steal. It seems to be only according to what we've learned here in the, in the Gemara, in the Talmud, that it's only there to stop us from gossiping, stop us from stealing, from killing, from, you know, any other ill activity. And what happens if we are okay with all those things? What, Torah we don't need anymore? God forbid? So what did Moshe mean over here in his response? What is the purpose of Torah? So let's put that question aside and let us now deal with another question. Is there any purpose in studying Torah um, without actually putting it into practice? Uh, I think uh, I think that it says that you should study Torah for its own sake. And right. even without putting it into practice, you're studying the Torah because God has asked us to study the Torah and it's equivalent to all the mitzvahs above. So the purpose of studying Torah is for Torah's sake alone, if not for the purpose of putting it in practice as well. Okay. So there's putting into practice. That's one question. Good. Thank you, Adam. Very good. And, and there's also the discussion about studying it, not for its own sake, but for ulterior motive. And here, the Gemara Sochim, Rav gives his opinion on this. Rabbi Yehuda said, in the name of Rav, a person should always engage in Torah and mitzvahs, even for ulterior motives, because doing something with ulterior motives leads one, leads to doing it for the intended purpose. So you may have ulterior motives, right? Wrong reasons, but eventually you're going to come to the right reason. Okay. Sounds good. The Me'iri, another commentator, takes it a step further and says that even if you have ulterior motives, not only it will lead you to eventually to do it for the intended purpose, but even with the ulterior motives, you still, excuse me, have benefit. Me'iri says even someone who engages in Torah and mitzvahs for ulterior motive is rewarded. In other words, it's okay to do it for the wrong reasons. The study itself is still encouraged, not only because it will lead you somewhere, but there's even something rewarding in that. Maimonides, the Rambam, he recognizes the limitations of human nature. For example, a small child that learns, who doesn't appreciate the value of Torah, right, will need external motivation. So he says, give them 
you know, the equivalent of candy today was back then nuts <laughs> and maybe dried fruit and that kind of thing. Eventually a person will mature and they will appreciate Torah for its own value. As he says, understand that when a young child is brought to a teacher to learn Torah, uh, due to their age and limited perception, they don't, they don't comprehend how good it is and what they gain from its perfection. From their more developed vantage point, the teacher should encourage the child to learn with age-appropriate prizes. The teacher can say something like, read and I'll give you nuts or figs, or I'll give you a little honey. It is the prize that motivates the child and not the actual text itself, for the child doesn't realize the Torah's true value. But when the child matures and develops, they will realize that they are too mature for such things and they will become unappealing to them. Then the teacher should say something like, learn this section or this chapter and I'll give you one coin or two coins. The child will read and put an effort in order to get the money. Since money is more prestigious in their eyes and study, the whole point of the learning for them is so that they'll get the promised monies. If the general public performs mitzvahs out of fear of punishment and receive uh, or to receive reward, this is not entirely bad. While imperfect, perhaps, this is good enough for them until they have the tools practiced and they put it in enough effort to, uh, in Torah observance that it will lead them to them understanding the truth about serving God out of love. As the rabbis say, a person should always engage in Torah and mitzvahs, even if it's not for its own sake. Because doing something with the ulterior motive leads to doing it for its own sake, the Talmud tells us. So it seems that we've answered our question. Of course, studying Torah um, alone for its own, as, as Adam mentioned, is definitely the ideal, right? Nishma, um, for its own sake. However, it is permissible, even encouraged, that you should do it. Nonetheless, if you're not doing it for its own sake, study it, even there's ulterior motives, um, because eventually you will get to the right place or be in the right space. But is it as simple as that? Is it as simple? After all, studying Talmud, it's never that simple. Because, you know, we chose a couple of texts that show you that, yes, this is the way to go. But if we dig a little deeper, we'll find some au contraire opinions. So we have here in the Talmud, Gemara Tractate Brachas. It is stated in the beginning of, of wisdom is fear of God and the good understanding have all you fulfill the mitzvahs, it is not stated simply all who fulfill, but rather all who fulfill them. Meaning those who perform these actions as they ought to be performed, meaning those who do such deeds for their own sake, for the sake of the deeds themselves, not those whom do it not for their own sake. One who does them not for their own sake, it would have been preferable for him had he not been created. Ooh, pretty harsh. You're going to study for selfish reasons? Better that you've not been created? Well, this is not the only thought on this that is harsh, 
But we also have in the tractate Tainus, the Talmud tells us there, the Benai used to say, whoever engages in Torah exclusively, uh, study uh, altruistically, the Torah becomes an elixir of life for him, for them. As the verse states, it is a tree of life for those who all hold on to it. It shall cure your, uh, cure, be a cure to the, your body. And whoever finds me finds life. Whoever engages in Torah study for ulterior motive, it becomes an elixir of death for them. Walala. So clearly, studying it for not its own sake, um, we have an, uh, an opposing opinion that this is um, not a good thing. Not only not a good thing, the elixir of death, better that you shouldn't have been born. What's going on over here? Sounds very extreme. How do we understand this? How do we make sense of this? Yeah. Maybe we've got to, you know, think right now, uh-oh, should I be closing the book now and uh, not learning any further because, you know, maybe it's better uh, I shouldn't. Or, you know, where are we holding with this? What does this mean exactly? We need to understand. Okay. Let's, um... yes, Adam. Well, I think, I mean, I've, I've read a few books and there's some information on this and it comes down to what makes a man alive or dead, what makes a man alive. And the Torah changes a man. And if a man was wicked to begin with, when he studies Torah, he learns not to be a wicked man and everything that made him what he was as a wicked man falls away. So intensively, the wicked man has died. And he's gone and is left with the righteous man. But the righteous man will become even more righteous and therefore will be considered uh, more alive. Right. That, because right. he's more of a righteous person. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Um, I'm not certain that that answers our question, but let's see how Tysus answers this question. Okay. Let's see how one of the commentators in the Gemara. Because remember, this is in the Talmud, so it's very clear contradictions in the Talmud. So the commentators need to deal with this. So, uh, Adam, very good. I'm not certain uh, that this answers, but let's see how Toysus answers uh, this contradiction. So Toysus in the Gemara, um, he to answer, there are two types of non-altruistic study, he says. The statement a person who always uh, should always engage in Torah and mitzvahs, even with ulterior motives, right, which we have from the Talmud and Psachim, and is referring to a person who studies for the sake of earning a title of a teacher or gaining respect, which, though not ideal, is still acceptable. The statement number two, whoever engages in Torah study with ulterior motives and becomes elixir of death for them, the other Talmud, right, in Tainus, is referring to someone who learns with the intention to ridicule others. Ah, Rashi seems to make the same distinction in the Gemara Brachas. He says, one who does them mitzvahs, including Torah study, not for their own sake, it would be preferable for him that he not been created. This refers to someone who studies with the intention not to fulfill, with no intention to fulfill what he learns, but ra rather to ridicule others. As you're using it as a tool, right? Not to fulfill what it's teaching, but to put down others. The passage encourages study 
uh, for an ulterior motive as it will lead to studying in the right reasons is referring to someone who learns Torah in the pursuit of honor. A oh, pursuit of honor is for yourself, obviously not lishma, not for the right reason. It is ulterior. But in such an instance, Rashi is saying, as Tesis is saying, that, you know, continue your studies um, nonetheless. But if you're doing it with the intent not to follow, but to ridicule, that, then it becomes better. You weren't created. It becomes an elixir of death. This is what these two commentators explain, right? That is the distinction, right? So folks, I don't want anybody to leave the class now because I'm sure none of you are in the, uh, in the category of someone who wants to ridicule, who wants, in other words, to use the knowledge to put down others, to put down maybe even the teachings themselves, right? So I'm sure no one is of that category, but that's what the what they are suggesting. The Alter Rebbe has a problem with Taisvis and likewise Rashi's answers. He says Taisvis' distinction is insufficient. What do we gain from differentiating between people's intentions? It's all considered as done with ulterior motive. The Alter Rebbe has a big problem. He says that the terminology in everywhere in the Talmud, which speaks whether you should continue or whether it better not be born and it's elixir of death, it's the same terminology. Shaloi lishma, not for not for the right reason. It, in other words, it's not using a different terminology in one instance versus the other instance. It's using the same terminology. If it meant that it was a different kind of level of loyli shma, well, the Talmud should have said that. So according to the Alta, we're back to square one. So let's find another approach. Studying with an agenda or with an ulterior motive shouldn't hold you back with one caveat. As long as you plan on practicing what you study and applying it to your life, not a problem. This rabbi explains the purpose of the, Torah, of the goal of Torah study in the Talmud. Rava was one to say the objective of Torah wisdom is that it leads to repentance and good deeds. Right? In other words, lishma. What is lishma to for its own sake? It doesn't mean to the exclusion of Torah. I mean, of, of, of uh, Torah of mitzvahs, it should lead you in that direction. A person should not study Torah and Mishnah and then spurn his father, mother, teacher, and those who are greater than them in wisdom or in the number of students that they have. Others, you're going to learn Torah and you're not going to respect your parents? You're not going to respect your teacher? The whole goal of the learning is that you should come to do the mitzvah. So according to this, what does it mean? What type of study are we referring to that it's better that you've never been created? Is if, if it's merely academic, completely hypothetical. Like it's a nice, you know, um, um, nice read. You know, implement it. Torah teaches, tells you to honor your parents, tells you to honor your teachers, tells you to do this and that. And 
It has no bearing upon you. It doesn't lead you to tshuva and maizim zavim, to repentance and good deeds. Then it becomes a lethal po a potion. Then maybe it's better you weren't born. But this also leaves us a little, you know, a difficulty to appreciate. Why is it so terrible that you don't practice what you study? Such a dire warning that it's a lethal potion, better you've never been created. Why is it so wrong? Now, of course, Torah study should lead you to that. We get that. But that it should be so negative, so lethal, right? How do we understand that? So perhaps it's as following. You ever said yourself, or maybe you heard someone else say, I know it's wrong. After all, what's worse than just sinning? You know what's worse than just sinning? Sinning, and you know that it's wrong. In other words, when you learn and you now know better and you still sin, kind of better that you didn't learn, maybe. Right? Because now what happens? Before you were an unintentional sinner, now you are an intentional sinner. That's what Tesis explains in the Gemara. Non-altruistic study of the tractate Tainas and tractate Brachos mentioned is referring to someone who engages in Torah study with no plans to implement what they study, whether out of fear or love, rather to sin. How so? Because they were once an inadvertent, uh, what was once an inadvertent sin now becomes intentional. Even though this person now knows that they are transgressing, they still don't curb any of their desires. This is aligned with the statements in Brachas. The objective of Torah wisdom is that it leads to repentance and good deeds. So if you sin and you're unaware, that's obviously wrong, but you're not held accountable to, in the same degree. But once you discover what's right and you excuse yourself, right? Well, rather, you might want to excuse, well, I didn't know. Well, what do you mean didn't know? Well, you knew, you learned. Right? That's no longer available to you. So then what you learn becomes lethal. And therefore, maybe regret the day you were born. That's why some people say ignorance is bliss. Because if I was ignorant, then it's still wrong. It still has a negative effect, but it's not lethal. So if that's the case, hmm, what are we doing here? We're learning. What happened? Second there. What happens if we're not going to, um, you know, implement what we're learning? That's going to be lethal. It sounds very strong. It sounds very um, um, almost unavoidable. Now, let's be very frank. You know, I'm sure we've all learned 
about Lashon Hara, about gossiping and the negativity that's involved, how it kills three people. Just learned in, in Rambam. Yesterday's Rambam, right? Yesterday's Rambam, we just learned it. And the Talmud tells us it's one of the things that a person is constantly transgressing. So when you don't know is one thing, now you know, and it becomes more intentional. So, you know, why are we learning about it? Okay, we hope to change, but there's also the chance and the possibility, and a great possibility, that it doesn't bring to that. So we need to understand that. Okay. Yes, Adam. Well, I know that in the Torah, it talks about where a person is only responsible for Karis in the event that he has been warned what he was doing was wrong. The person has to be warned in advance before he becomes liable for penalty of death and Karis or whatever. Would, Premature death. Would, would, yeah. Would... would the study of Talmud or the study of Torah behave as that warning, as opposed to being, do, do you, do you feel like the Torah is saying that, you know, they have to be warned by a person physically where somebody has to go and say, Hey, what you're doing will lead to Karis or could just the study of Torah feel the, the need for warning. Good question. Good question. Let's go even more than that. Let's take it a step further. Good, 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 good question. Um, you know, give it, I've been giving classes for many years, teaching, and I can uh, truly say that sometimes I'm thrown for a loop that, uh, you know, that someone comes to a class and, you know, as we are all prone to human frailty. So you look at this person and you think, mm, uh, you know, it looks like they're coming for the uh, companionship. It looks like well, they're coming for, you know, the food, maybe uh, they're coming, you know, for the social aspect. Uh, I don't know how much you're coming because, you know, Yiddishkeit, they, that's what they want. Torah learning is what's, you know, inspiring them. And then you see another person who's really, it seems to be engaged. And, and what happens is the one that became religious was the one who you thought was, uh, you know, not so serious. And they somehow turned around. The other one who seemed to have a good head and seemed to absorb it and to be really, didn't change in the same way. Didn't change in the same way. So why is that? Because there's something in, and Adam, you kind of touched upon him. There's something magical about Torah. What's magical about Torah? So the Altar Rebbe tells us 
Some say, nevertheless, a person should always engage in Torah and mitzvahs, even with the ulterior motive, because doing something with the ulterior motive leads to doing for its intended purpose. Eventually, the light of Torah will bring them back to the righteous path. On the verse, they forsook me. They did not keep my Torah. In Jeremiah, our sages say, if only they had forsaken me, but still kept my Torah, because the light of Torah would have brought them back to the righteous path. Wow. What's God saying over here in Jeremiah? This is at the destruction of, this, of the first holy temple. Um, God is saying, you know, Halavai, they should have forgotten about me. But if they wouldn't have forgotten about Torah, that would be a problem. Why? Because eventually the study of Torah would bring them back home to me. Right? In other words, there is a power in Torah that seeps into our bones, seeps into every fiber of our being, that eventually it's going to have an effect on us. It's going to bring us back home. So much so, they would have forgotten me, forsaken me. Okay, God says, not the Torah. Why? Because the light of Torah brings them back to right, the righteous path. Okay, that sounds powerful and great. But how about the Talmud in Brachas and in Tainus that said, you know, better you weren't born, but it's the elixir of death. How do we understand that? So the alternative explains. The truth is the Talmud is unanimous that all non-altruistic study is the elixir of death. And it's preferable for him that he had not been created than to do so. Regardless, listen to this very carefully. The Talmud still declares that one should always engage in Torah study because the habitual study will lead to altruistic study since the Torah's light will bring them back to the righteous path. Even though it's still called the elixir of death, it can transform into the elixir of good by the dint of the light within the Torah study. But if a person would stop studying altogether due to the above mentioned reasons, they would follow their hearts, every whim and commit every evil in God's eyes. It turns out that the two statements are no longer in conflict. It remains true that if one studies with an agenda, it is better that he had not been created and they are ingesting in the elixir of death. Nonetheless, this is the key. This is a real um, uh, paradox. Rav Yehuda still advises it's the right thing to study Torah, even with an agenda, since it has the potential to become altruistic, as explained above. So despite the gravity of the situation, person's learning for not the right reasons. It's klipa, it's negative. They shouldn't let side agendas stop them. Ah, it's lethal. Yeah, but you know what? It could be a vivifying force in your life. That's the power of Torah. That eventually it will seep into your, into your neshama. It will be part and parcel of every limb of your body. That it will transform you. But, Okay. That's eventual. How about now, though? What are we gaining right now? 
right? Didn't we say that not that the, this study is akin to the elixir of death? But what's what's now? See, Altareva says the Kabbalist uh, sages likewise say that all the Torah study in the mitzvahs that a person does, while still wicked, despite them, despite them, temporarily strengthening the evil forces, will nevertheless eventually be removed from there and return to holiness when he repents, whether in this incarnation or another. So yes, non-altruistic study, feet, klipa, sitarachir, the forces of negativity. That's true. It does. So if you look at those forces of evil and klipa, like the equivalent of holiness and goodness, so then there might be an issue, right? There might be an issue, but they're not. The forces of good are stronger. The forces of holiness are stronger. And that's why eventually you will return, whether it's in this incarnation or another, but you will return. So that power of that negativity, because remember, it is Torah. So essentially, it's holy, right? Essentially, it's holy. It's Torah. So eventually, it will be upgraded. Eventually, it will retroactively be redeemed. It may not be today, but it will definitely be tomorrow. Therefore, never a reason not to study Torah. Therefore, concludes the Altar Rebbe, thus one should never abstain from studying Torah. So the halachic verdict is clear. Never stop learning Torah. That's how powerful it is. The power of good in it, because it's essentially holy, just with our intent, we brought it into a negative place. But likewise, with our intent, when we change that intent, we will take that force and it will be a positive force. It'll be an amazing force, retroactively redeemed. Again, why retroactively redeemed? Because essentially Torah, it's God's wisdom, his will. Essentially it's holy. We just brought it into a, a bad space with our intent, but it eventually will be. So now let's return to our question regarding the encounter of Moshe and the angels. So we asked the question, can the entire purpose of the Holy Torah be an antidote to human frailty, to the sins that we may engage in? Do you know what the answer is? Yes. It's there to combat the human condition, the frailty of the human being, in order that we can ultimately transform it. And this, an angel doesn't have a power. An angel doesn't have the power to transform. Why? As Moses asked them, 
Do you have an evil inclination? Well, you have nothing to transform. Right? You're constantly basking in the awareness of God, the presence of God. Right? There's no darkness you need to overcome. You don't need to transform that. Right? Furthermore, only God is truly above and completely disassociated from anything beneath him. He has the power to change anything. He can take from nothing and make something. <laughs> right? He can take from nothing and make something. As the Rebbe explains, even the loftiest of godly revelations are restricted by the definition of light and revelation. As such, the existence of evil, which is the antithesis of light, can oppose them. As a result, it is not within the capacity of this level of godly manifestation to transform evil into good. In this manifestation, the forces of holiness can only fight negativity until it is destroyed completely. Only God's essence, the ultimate simplicity, beyond any definition and related to all opposition, has the capacity to alter and transform evil to good. Hmm. Listen to this. Light and darkness are opposite from each other. So the only thing that can happen is light overpowers darkness, meaning it does away with it. Light, goodness of God, does away with destroying evil. That's only when we're talking about revelations of God. But in God's essence, ultimate simplicity, beyond any definition, there, there's the capacity to transform evil to good. In that level of, within God, there is that possibility. That level is given over to us in our soul. We have that capacity. We share God's true essential nature, which is a transformative power. Yes, we lowly humans. Angels don't have that. Because all they get is a ray of light, revelation of God. Revelation of God? Well, for them, light is light. Darkness is darkness. Good is good. Evil is evil. And you got to fight it off. got to destroy the negativity. That's all they can do. So the fact that we have failings and limitations, right, is not in order that we should fail, but that we should then transform it, that darkness into light, that failing into success, right? That's a power that only God has that he invests in us that we only have. So failings are not, it's not like, oh, God created, you know, a human condition, and the human condition is a, you know, is a lowly condition, and therefore you need this guidebook to help you to get beyond that human condition. No. God made us like him, that we could be transformative. Only God can be transformative. That power is given to us. Angels don't have it. Celestial beings don't have it. Souls above don't have it. But we do. Where do we have the power to do that? 
It's called the Torah. Because God put his essence, his very being into the Torah. Anechi, I am, which is the acronym I put my very soul in writing, in the writing of the Torah, in the words of the Torah. And that Torah, he didn't give it to angels. You know why? Because they don't have transformative power. Transformative power is only within, within the realm of God. And that he put into our soul. But that means we have to have the darkness. We have to have the failings, the possibility of failings. And indeed, because the soul is put into a body and put into this world, failings we will have. But it's not the, the reason the failings is in order now that we can now find a deeper power within us of transformation. So, again, and this is a very, this is the nuance and the, the, the chiddish, the novelty over here. It's because we have a part of God in us, the essence of God, not just the light of God. Therefore, we have the power of transformation, which only is in the hands of God. In the essence of God, which means transforming from ultimately as creator from nothing to something, transforming evil to good. Not that there's evil by God, but the power of that. He put a landsat inside of us and then takes that soul and brings it down into this world. Where in this world is largely a world that is. Ulterior motives, negativity. And why? Because the Torah is going to be the antidote to fight that negativity. It's the true potency that is only meant down here because Torah has transformative power. The essence of the Torah, which is one with the essence of God, is expressed specifically in the fact that it serves as an antidote to the evil inclination. This is because the ability to counter the evil inclination and transform it into something good flows exclusively from God's essence. Next text elaborates on how the condition of the world are ideal for Torah and to fulfill that purpose. In this week's Sicha. The power of God's essence, which is vested in the Torah, is manifest and actualized when a soul serves God within the limitations and boundaries of, the, of this world. The soul descends into a world full of negativity and evil, entities that are literally against God. In this low world, it fights with the evil inclination, breaks through and uncovers everything concealed and hidden and transforms darkness into light. This, this subjugation and transformation of negativity and evil entities that are literally against God precisely encapsulates the idea of the total innovation because it's the process of reverting an egoistic entity into utter nothingness. So we take the something that God made and we bring it to nothingness, meaning the power of God. The, this power of total innovation 
is sourced in the essence of God. He alone is the capacity, the ability to create something out of utter nothingness. And he has bestowed upon us the power of reverting an existing entity back to nothingness, meaning back to God. Back not just to God, but to the core essence of God. So Torah's purpose is not merely to be an anecdote, antidote for human frailty, for our challenges, for our failings. It's not a crutch. As people feel, you know, religion is the crutch of, for the, of the masses, the opening of the masses. Rather, it's the ability that we can transform darkness into light. That's what the power of Torah is, because it's one with God. And that power of God is only exclusive to him to be able to transform that is exclusive to us in our neshama. And therefore, when the Torah is alive for us, active power, the inner light, it will, when we study, even when it's not for the right reasons, it is so powerful, being again an expression of God himself, that it will seep in to our soul, into our mind, to our heart, and to every part of us. So regardless of what your motives are right now, we need to recognize that we need to study and study and study. Ah, maybe I'm not practicing so well what I study. Maybe I'm fearful of implementing the practice. Maybe I'm... Um, not ready, that doesn't hold you back. The message is clear. When we study, magic happens. Magic happens. As we all have seen in our journey together every week, learning here or learning Tanya every day, we see the magic of it. There's no doubt. And that magic will continue. L'chaim! Any questions? It's all clear. Mm. Amazing. Rabbi. Yes. Can we give strength to our soul for when it returns to try again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, return. Uh, we're here now. Do it now. We're here now. <laughs> we're here and now. We're going to make it happen. Mm. Yep. All right, folks. Uh, many of you I will see very soon. <laughs> All right, for TRC. Tanya Rabbi community. We'll see you soon. Have a great week. Shavua Tov. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. And don't forget, Shavuos. Shavuos. Every Jewish, every Jewish man, woman, and child needs to be in synagogue to hear the Ten Commandments. Don't forget that. On Sunday, this Sunday. Yeah, by the way, next Sunday we will not have a class because of that, of course, because it's Shavuos. All right. Thank you very much. Be well. Thank you, Thank you everyone. Thank you, everyone.
תודה רבה.